Hey, this is Dwayne Larson, and welcome to It's a Music Thing, a podcast about, well, you guessed it, music. Each week, I'll try to bring you new stories from artists and other people in the music industry. I want to make this podcast one of your go-to music podcasts. There are a few ways you can help me make this happen. Go subscribe on iTunes, and if you feel so inclined, rate us. Also, tell your friends about It's a Music Thing. Nothing like word-of-mouth advertising. That goes a long, long way. Also, check out and follow our social media pages. It's a Music Thing MB on Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, it's It's a Music Thing. The website is It's a Music Thing.com. Also, if you f- want to, drop me a line at It's a Music Thing mb at gmail.ca if you have a show idea or would like to be interviewed or heck maybe you even know someone that wants to be interviewed all right enough of my droning on and on let's get on with the show Thanks for once again joining me for It's a Music Thing, the podcast. I am your host, interviewer, just, you know, the person that does stuff around here, Dwayne Larson. And on today's show, I have a very special guest. I've been wanting to talk to him for a a while now. I've seen his bands play multiple, multiple times. And it was such a treat to get to sit down and talk to this guy. Who am I talking about? I bet you're wondering that at this point. I got a chance to talk to Jorge, who is the lead singer for the Mariachi Ghost, based out of, based from here in Winnipeg. And he is also the artistic coordinator for the West End Cultural Center. And as I've said many times on this podcast, I really like talking to people who work behind the scenes. And this is one of the one of the the people that also is, you know in front of the scenes, I guess you want to call it. He's in a band, obviously the lead singer of the mariachi ghost, but he's also working as the artistic coordinator for the venue, the West end cultural center here in Winnipeg. So it was great to sit down and learn about Jorge because I, I didn't, I didn't know much about his past. I mean, in doing my research, I found out a bunch of stuff, but I learned even more sitting down and getting the chance to talk to him. Um, I, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but it, it 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 was a good it was a good conversation. I learned, you know, why he decided to move here from Mexico City, what the scene was like in Mexico City, what he was like as as a young child growing up in Mexico City and what, you know, what he's doing now and what he what his vision for the West End Cultural Center is, which is amazing and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But before we get on to all that, I always want to say thank you to everybody that listens, anybody that shares links, anything like that for It's a Music Thing. It really does help support us. And the easiest thing you can do, like I just said, is share. Just share a link, tell your friends about us, tell your enemies about us. It really helps out a lot when people say it, you know, word of mouth. Word of mouth is the best form of advertising because then you know, when people tell me, Hey, I should listen to this podcast or I should listen to this band or something like that. I take it to heart and I go check it out. Some sure. Sometimes I don't like it nine times out of 10 people know what I like. So if you can do that, that's great. If you have done it, thank you. Uh, what else here? If you want to get a hold of me and tell me how bad I'm doing or how good I'm doing, or maybe you've got a show idea or just to say hi, uh, you can reach us on any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, 
are the ones I'm most active on. Twitter, it's there. I use it. Maybe I should use it more. If you want to shoot a podcast or a podcast, if you want to shoot an email over, it's a music thing, MB at Gmail. And yeah, those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. So yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Also, as always, a big thank you to Mike Lipanowski for doing his audio wizardry on all of the episodes. I do what I can. He yells at me sometimes for not doing the right thing, but you know, it's we're all learning. He's he is he is my guru. He is is that the right word? Yeah, it could be the right word. <clears throat> oh, oh, that didn't sound attractive at all. But thank you, Mike, for your continuing work. Thank for everybody that supports the podcast. And here's my conversation with Jorge from the Mariachi Ghost and the West End Cultural Center. All right. I guess uh, first and foremost, who am I sitting here with? Uh, my name is Jorge Requena Ramos. I'm the artistic coordinator at the West End Cultural Center. And? And I'm also the artistic director of the Mariachi Ghost. Awesome. Um, I guess first and foremost, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I was born in Mexico City. Um, I moved to um, Manitoba, Canada when I was 21. I went to university here, film studies. Um, and then I've been working in the film industry for the last 20 years, um, since, I, since before I moved here. And uh, now I came up to, into this role, which is um, a sort of a perfect Venn diagram um, gap where my experience in production and producing films mm-hmm. Uh, in my experience as a musician and as a you know recording artist, um, found a perfect place in between where I can produce shows for other people um, and sort of think about those details and stuff like that. And it's it's pretty great. Awesome. Um, let's take a kind of a a trip in the I call it the way back machine. Sure. And so you said you were born in Mexico City, mm-hmm. raised, grew up in Mexico City. Yeah, I grew up. Uh, I lived my entire life in Mexico City. Uh, my parents are from a small town in Mexico, small for Mexican terms. It's, okay, you know, bigger than Brandon, <laughs> but uh, it's half a million. But it's um, it's called Colima, which is in the Pacific uh, Coast, close to the Pacific Coast. Uh, my dad's an architect. My mom's a music teacher. Okay, um, and they moved to Mexico City when they were very young. And so all my, myself and my siblings grew up in Mexico City. So growing up. Um were you, are, you, are your f- parents very um, like active music listeners? Like, do they do they play music? Um, yeah. So my mom's a choir teacher, and so she play has music playing all the time mm-hmm. um, in her head. Also, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. She's always singing and whistling, and you know, thinking about music. Um, I was forced to learn to sing since I was able to speak. Okay. Um, I'm not saying force in a bad way. My mom can't help herself but give you technique Mm -hmm. uh, for singing so you can do it better all the time. She can't help herself. Yep. Um, And my dad listened to a lot of rock music. Okay. He listened to a lot of Queen. He listened to Crocus. Um, He listened to Alice Cooper. And so there's there's a lot of music. Chicago was huge. So a lot of of music playing at, at the house for sure. And growing up, can you remember, was there a specific song or a time where like you you heard music of some kind, any kind, and you were like, it it just kind of like you got it, it like it spoke to you, I guess, if you want to get super cheesy about it. Yeah, um, my my mom's dad, my grandpa, um, who was the only grandfather that I knew, um, played a guitar, like really crappy guitar that he had at home, mm-hmm. and he had the raspiest voice that you can imagine because he was a smoker. Mm-hmm. He wasn't very good. 
at all at playing yeah. music. But he really enjoyed himself playing music more than I had ever seen anybody else enjoy themselves playing music. Um, he wasn't a sad person, but he would sing songs for my grandma who had died. Oh, okay. Um, and so there was an immense power in watching him sort of give himself up to the, to the melancholy mm-hmm. and use the skills that he had, which were almost none, yeah. to communicate you know, the, the, those feelings and, yeah. and sort of let himself be entranced in that. And he would, like, he would play at like 7 in the morning in the corner of the yard. You know, it was just a moment for him where like he would, and, and you could watch him. He was fine with people watching him, but he wasn't for me. He wasn't, mm-hmm. for, he wasn't playing for anybody else. He was playing for him and for my grandma. And so I, you know, I remember that being the moment where I was like, the, decided that I wanted to have something to do with music. I was going to say, did, did that help shape kind of your path to being a musician? Even if, like, even if at times when you thought you weren't that good, you could just think about your grandpa and be like, you know, I'm doing this for me because I like doing it. Mm-hmm. it Yes, that. And I mean, I will be the first to confess, I'm not very good at playing the guitar. Mm -hmm. I can play the guitar. I'm not like an idiot at playing it, but I'm not a champion of of the guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm okay with the skill level that I have at it, but it's it's a tool for you know it's a means to an end. It's a way to go and and play, be able to play music by myself. Yeah. Um, And so I can do that. When I was growing, when I was coming up in the music scene in Mexico City. It was very important to our bands that skill wasn't as important as um, the music that you were playing. Mm-hmm. And so we intentionally didn't have solos in our, in our band. Um, I played in a band called Malverde, um, which really went nowhere. But um, it was really important to us that there was no solos. And so was, I've been reading about The Clash lately. And, and The Clash, basically, they, they had a, a saying that there was no room for technically technical overages. Okay. They didn't they it wasn't a, the music wasn't about that. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it wasn't about that for my grandfather and it wasn't about that for myself as a punk kid, you know? It um it was important to carry a message and that's that's what the mariachi ghost is even though the mariachi ghost is like intricate and complicated and there's like a lot of instruments and it's orchestraic in a way. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of it, the music is two chord like you know, jams and yeah. and um, and you know, kind of kind of like the two tone sound, um, and it's simple and it maybe not approachable because some maybe maybe some of the chords are complicated, mm-hmm. but um, there's that attitude of like it doesn't need to be complicated to be beautiful is still there for sure. Um, and growing up in Mexico City, what kind of music scene were you into? Like, did you get into the, was your first? Like, what was your? Do you remember your first concert you went to? Um. Yes, my first concert that I went to um, consciously because I, I think I won tickets to go see Michael Jackson with my dad, okay. the Dangerous Tour. Yeah, um, and I went to that. I don't remember it very well because I was think six or seven. Oh, okay, and yeah, I remember it being really loud and living in the middle of yep. the show. Um, but my first concert that I elected to go to uh, was La Ley, which is this Chilean band that was really huge in Mexico. Um, and there was a place where I don't know if you're familiar with the running of the bulls in Spain. Yep. Um, there was a place in Mexico City that staged the running of the bulls oh, okay. every weekend, and you could run with the bulls every weekend. It was this giant bar, yeah. Um, and they would like literally release bulls, and you would run around Jesus. with them. It's insane, yeah. Um, and so, but that place was that place had La Ley playing on it, and it was like 
for like six or seven thousand people. Oh wow! Um, and my friend happened to know the promoter, so we had like backstage passes. So it was mm-hmm. like really cool. We went and shook hands with the band, um, and it was like back then it was still an underground dark band. It became a pop band later, which okay. was really disappointing. But um, so it was like a pop on uh, sorry an underground kind of crowd uh, in Mexico City, and I remember realizing that. I had that in Mexico City because I did. I didn't think when I was thirteen or fourteen that there was a cool side to Mexico City. Mm-hmm. I thought everything was like really lame, and it, you know, it was going to be like adult contemporary for life or whatever. And then I discovered that there's a whole undercurrent of like punk and dark and like new wave music, and that's where I cemented myself in when I was growing up. Which I think is a lot like Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. I not growing up here either. I've only lived here for oh god, what am I now? 10, 11 years, mm-hmm. not growing up here, the first time I visited Winnipeg, I was like, this is this is home. Mm-hmm. Like you just, once you kind of, I always tell people that aren't from here, once you scrape off the dirt and, you know, wipe the shit away a little bit, yeah. it's like, there is such a great art scene, there's a phenomenal music scene, and it's, and the movie scene here too, like the film scene is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, so that sounds like a great, like, it, it's kind of the same, kind of the same thing that mm-hmm. I'm sure happened here for well, for me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and being in Mexico City after, like, because you started going to like punk stuff, you said, mm-hmm. uh, is what other kind of stuff did you find outside of that circle that you kind of kept bringing into influences into you? Um, so I'll explain. Um, my dad had a very successful um, construction company. Okay, he's an architect. Um, so he will build like hospitals twice as big as health and science center mm-hmm. you know, regularly, giant roads. He built all of Nuevo Vallarta for like Puerto Vallarta, you know, the new part of Puerto Vallarta. He built all of the roads for that. Oh, okay. Um, so giant company. Um, and so a good chunk of my childhood was spent in, you know, utter opulence and, mm-hmm. you know, there was no shortage of things that we could acquire. And, um, then his company failed when I was like 12 or 13. Okay. And there was a period of time where we had nothing. Like mm-hmm. we went from like, uh, you know, Grand Tourism hotels, five star hotels yep. all over, you know, brand new cars every year, blah, 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 to thoroughly in debt, can't move any money, you know, we might have to sell our house mm-hmm. kind of thing, selling off our, the, stuff, the stuff that we have and pawning off some of the stuff that we have, you know, like utter poverty when I was like 13 or 14. And then he recuperated and then, you know, had money up until I. I left to Canada and then went on there again. Oh, okay. Um, you know, ups and downs. Yep. Um, so I think that that shaped the kind of friends that I made mm-hmm. because even though I was a young kid going to a, like a private social school, believe it or not, it's like a bourgeoisie okay. social school. I, anarchist in the in the Spanish terms. Yeah. Um, Colegio Madrid, which was started by the Spanish anarchists. Um, so anarchy was in, like, the idea of Spanish anarchy, which is really socialism, mm-hmm. um, was in my upbringing from six years old until, you know, I, I left that school when I was, like, 13. Um, but also the idea of people putting other people down because of how much money they have mm-hmm. was very tangible in my brain. And I remember when we had money, my dad really rarely wanted to have a relationship with my mom's side of the family because they're very down-to-earth Humble, mm-hmm. like no money, yeah, doesn't like, matter. Just very salty. You other don't need people. it. Salty to the other people, yeah. yeah. And when we lost everything, those were the people that were there for us, yeah. Um, 
And so the realization that that was like important happened to my dad. Mm-hmm. And then it happened to me by 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 default. And so I didn't want to have be be friends with the kids at the private school that I was going to when I was 13, 14, 15. I wanted to be friends with the kids that were not going to the, to the private school, the, mm-hmm. the kids that were real. And so some of those kids were punks. And some of those kids were hardcore, um, get into fights every weekend, mm-hmm. um, uh, cheers for the university soccer team, kind of punks. And I started hanging out with those people um, without telling my mom, without telling my dad, you know. But I had a car. Yeah. Uh, starting at 14, which is dumb. Don't do that to your children. <laughs> Um, and so I had access to be, to travel to downtown Mexico City with those guys, you know, at 3 a.m. on a Saturday mm-hmm. and go to the underground clubs where, like, they don't ask for ID. Um, and at the same time, be able to go to the expensive rock shows when Pearl Jam's coming to play Mexico City. I had access to tickets because I had money to pay for the tickets. And yeah. I would sometimes buy it for my friends. And so I had, in a way, the best of both worlds. And mm-hmm. I feel really blessed to be able to say that. Um, and so that really that really gave me access to a lot more music than I would have had if I had just stayed on the one, mm-hmm. you know, kind of side of the tracks. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it shaped you to be, well, mostly to like appreciate the good times. And then when the hard times are there, it's like, well, let's pull those bootstraps up and work a little bit harder. Which is why I like Winnipeg. Um, I, I chose to move to Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. I had the option to move to Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. I moved to Montreal for a little while. Um, Winnipeg is real. Yeah. It's really hard to stay away from real in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Even when you have all of the money that you could have in Winnipeg and be totally wealthy, you still have to deal with the winter. Yeah. It comes for everybody. Yeah. You know? So I feel like that's the great um, sort of normalizer of Winnipeg is that everybody has to go through this together and it doesn't matter who you are, you still have to go through it. And you said you had went, or had you been to Winnipeg before you moved here? <clears throat> I'd been to Winnipeg once. Okay. Um, for two days. I came to see the university and I had gone to Toronto Film School and I, had gone, I was going to go to Vancouver Film School after Winnipeg. Um, but I made, I made the stop here and I met George Stolls and he just felt like, uh, like a true dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and also he was left handed. I'm left handed. He was like <laughs> signing letters and he thought I was coming to ask for a pink sheet for his. Class, which okay. means that like you can get into the class without having to register yeah. uh, on the computer. But I wasn't. I was just coming to ask him questions. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, do you need a pink sheet? And he started signing a pink sheet. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm here to like talk to the chair of film studies because I want to study film. Yep. And then he was like, oh, where are you from? And then we got to talking. And um, he had the messiest office I had ever seen. <laughs> and I have a problem, as you can see with my office, the same problem as George. Um, and I just felt like he was like a kin soul Mm -hmm. and that's not something I found in Toronto film school. They were, you know, very square, clean, neat, um, nothing about the story. And I felt like George was all about the story and that's what I was, that's what I cared at the time for. And so I ended up moving here. I didn't know how like real it was about to get necessarily I, that, until after I was here for a Yeah, I was just going to ask, what was the kind of like a big, I, was there a big learning curve coming from Mexico City to here? Yeah, and even though I was in the university, which is like the easiest learning curve if you come as a student, because yeah. you have a support system, you lots have other of friends, people. everybody's showing you, and there's like collegiality of like people taking you around and, you know, and also like I was drunk for the entire first year because <laughs> I was living in on campus and yep. like, you know, it's like party time, which was great. Um, but I got to 
have a, a buffer of to like I spent my first winter at the university. Yeah. I just had to go across the street. Right? Yeah. Um, it was the second winter that was really real. Is that when you kind of moved out on your own? Like, That's when, yeah, we, we, we rented a house, a couple of friends and I, and, uh, and yeah, it was like we moved out on our own and, um, you know, roommates would cycle through and you'd have no money. And yep. then, um, you know, like my dad's business start, started slowing down. And so mm-hmm. my butt just started going down. Um, and so, you know, I, a big part of like what I liked about Winnipeg originally was that I wasn't going to have a long commute. Because mm-hmm. yeah, in Mexico City, it was a two-hour commute yeah. there and a two-hour back. And if you calculate it over the course of your life, you spend like seven years in the car. That's yeah. insane, right? Um, and so as much as I liked cars, I didn't want to spend seven years in one. Um, so um, like also bands do that a lot. Yeah, Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they definitely do. Um, and so I, I just really enjoyed that. And right now, my, I'm six, my house is six-minute walk from here. That's perfect. Yeah. And... So when you were in Mexico City before you moved to Winnipeg, uh, you said you had played in other bands. What kind of like were they punk bands? Were they? Yeah, they were more. Yeah, they were punk in like the original punk sense. Mm -hmm. They were punk more like the Sex Pistols and the Clash than they were punk like Blink One Eighty Two or whatever like punk became after, right? Um, Yeah, uh, more like new wave, I guess, in the American sense. Okay, Um, and super loud. Um, you know, um, we abrasive, I'm sure abrasive and mm-hmm. fun and a, a little bit aggressive, um, you know, and we work with, with ever since the first band, I decided that they, that there was a storyline that would follow through the band and it was the King of Cowboys. Okay. And the King of Cowboys was this guy that went around riding in a bull and not a horse. And, and he was just like the ultimate cool dude, just beating the crap out of like bad cowboys. Uh, and, um, and we decided to like dress as cowboys for our shows. Mm-hmm. But it's like this like punk quasi metal like new wave. Oh, okay. Um, and there's like four idiots <laughs> basically dressed as like country western stars. <laughs> <laughs> Very flamboyant. So we got into a lot of fights with metalheads yeah. and like hardcore punks that were like, you know, oh, why are you wearing costumes? It's so lame. Yeah. Um, you know, and so which is nothing is more punk than pushing against whatever. Black T-shirts and black jeans, or whatever they were wearing. Yeah, and and also like the punk movement was tailored, all of it. Yo, 100%. there were people designing the clothes, right? Yeah. So, anyways, so um, it, it was just like that was the spirit of the of of it. It was like pushing back against, um, I guess, um, orthodoxy of whatever, mm-hmm. um, be it the punk movement or the metal movement or whatever, um, and in Mexico City, which is like already. When you call yourself a punk and you dress like a punk, or you in any way that is abnormal, mm-hmm. you're already kind of swimming against the current with like the orthodoxy of like Catholicism, and you know, um, immediately the labels become dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but that was fun. Uh, and something completely unmusic related. Uh, after I had just spent twelve days in uh, Plato Carmen area, yeah, uh, shooting two weddings. Mm-hmm. Always wanted to go to Mexico City. Uh, what are some of the kind of the misconceptions or maybe truths about Mexico City that you would say to somebody that wants to go there and like just immerse themselves in not a tourist kind of like area? Yeah, um, I will say I've had the pleasure of travel traveling all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't traveled in Asia enough, um, but. 
out of the cities that I visited, and I visited Paris, I visited Barcelona, Madrid, um, I visited New York, I visited LA. Um, I haven't been to Berlin, so maybe I'm still stand corrected, but yeah. Mexico City is very likely the coolest city in the world. Um, and I, I don't feel sad that I don't live there because it's, you know, the commute so long and it's yeah. so complicated and it can be really fluffy. Um, but for somebody who's coming there to experience something different, it's like the goal, it's like the holy grail. Of, mm-hmm. But you need to be part of that highest common denominator of people that are smart enough to get away from the, from the hotel, mm-hmm. smart enough from, to get it from. The, and, and I'm not saying that it's stupid to go. Um, on uh, on all inclusive, I'm yeah. not not saying that. Yeah, but um, you know, I'm I, saying it. It's no. stupid. I mean, it, it's, I love it. Don't it's a again. Speed. You sometimes need that speed, and you know, like that's fair. But yep. if you really want to experience life to the fullest, go to Mexico City. Yeah, that's what I would say. If you really want to party the hardest you can, go to Mexico City. If you want to learn the most that you can, it's the city with the most museums in the world. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you want to be stuck in traffic, the worst that you can go to Mexico City. <laughs> go to Mexico City. <laughs> you want to shop? Go to Mexico City. We have better shopping than New York. And so, like you know, if if you want to spend money, go to Mexico City. If you yeah. want it to be cheap, go to Mexico City. Yeah. There's no like shortage of like uh, superlatives that I can you know yeah. give you that Mexico City doesn't have. Yeah. You know? So you you move here from Mexico City, fifteen years ago, yeah, sixteen ish, some time ago. Yeah. Um, when do you start? playing music here or is that kind of right off the hop right off the hop um and like uh um, right now we're we're setting together for uh for begonia shows yeah um you know like in the yeah, time two, of the whenever this, of... whenever you're listening in real life we're setting together for the begonia shows and her managers too actually was one of the people that promoted my first show oh awesome in manitoba at wise guys on campus at the university of manitoba yeah with a band called the north division okay uh, which was myself and then my friend mao who was um um and everybody's gonna be like mao like chairman mao no but <laughs> calm down calm down chairman mao um it was um he was he came from mexico city to follow me here Oh, okay. Uh, and we started a band, and we were like, "We're gonna start a band. It's gonna be super cool." And then he had to go back. <laughs> uh, but our um, uh, the North Division was really cool, um, and uh, I was just university and didn't have time to actually have a band. But that was our first show. Was um, I remember at best being this like incredible kind of frenzy of like Canadians not getting what the fuck was happening on stage? Yeah, because it was like super punk Mexican. There was a lot of music in oh, Spanish. And, that would have been amazing. Yeah, and and. We sold tickets, like people yeah. from, from campus came, um, you know, we made, I made a cool poster, mis- misspelled the word October because it sounds different in English. <laughs> um, yeah. So right away, I think my first, my first year in school, I started playing music. Yeah. And how many, I guess, bands did you, or things did you go through before? Cause now Mariachi Ghost is, is the big one. Correct? Yes. Yeah. So I played in the North Division and I played and... I mean, I played on a couple of other bands, and then I was a supporting singer for Transistor sixty six, the band, mm-hmm. and then um, which my friend Dino, he's awesome, and then um, Alex, our dancer, asked me and Gabriel, uh, our harana player, to participate in this um, Young Lungs showcase. Okay, um, and so she gave us a piece that she wanted us to play, and then Gabriel and I punked it out a little bit and played it for her to dance in this. In at um, you remember the Black Sheep Diner? Yes. Oh man, at I miss that place so much. Yeah. You guys played at the Black Sheep Diner. That was our first, our that's first crazy. show. Yeah, 
Gabriel and I had done a couple of open mics. Um, we I saw Rodrigo Papamambo play um, somewhere at the free house, I think. Okay. Accidentally. I lived across the street at the time, and I went to the free house and, uh, to have a beer with someone, and Rodrigo was playing, and I was like, somebody's playing music in Spanish in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And that was groundbreaking to me. Yeah. I was like, how are, how are people here? Like, these people go to resorts. Yeah. Why would they be coming to, you know? Yep. But Rodrigo had been able to make an issue of himself, and and then I got to meet some of the other members of the band, Scott Senior, um, Marco Castillo, who had just moved here from Brazil to play music. And so I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not as good at music as any of those guys, and I never want to claim that I am. But, um, you know, it, it inspired. I actually invited Rodrigo to my first open mic, and he came and he gave me some feedback, which was really useful. Yep. And in that way, he's one of the you know, greatest mentors in my life. Um, same with Marco. Marco, like, gave me pointers very early on. He heard of some of my songs. Mm-hmm. He, he speaks Spanish fluently. Um, and his dad used to be a, a songsmith uh, from Mexico. That he, when oh, okay. he, his mom is, I think his mom is Guatemalan and his dad um, is Brazilian or it's, his mom's Brazilian is as Guatemalan. I don't remember exactly, but he, he knew the music, right? And mm-hmm. so he gave me some pointers. Some pointers. Um, and um, at one point after that, we... Somebody from the French Festival, a friend of mine that was working at the French Festival, because I went to film in theater school. Yep. I do remember Manitoba. So I had a friend from theater that was working at the French and had heard that I was starting to play music and was like, Do you want to play on a Wednesday? And I was like, Okay, that's cool, but it's the French. So I yeah. want to do something cool and theatrical. Yeah, for sure. Um, even though most of the bands that play the French don't do that, right? But why not stick out? Why not stick out? Yeah. And I had access to people that wanted to play music. For fun, and so um, Ian Mikita, the drummer for the Mariachi Ghost, was there. Um, my and a friend from the, the other band. Oh yeah, I played on another band called the Brotherhood of the Snake. Okay, uh, for like a year, we never played a show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had really great musicians that were really not good at commitment. Um, and, what? Yeah. No, never. I, I can't see that. Yeah, um, and uh, my friend Roy, that played bass on the Brotherhood of the Snake, came to play the first the first show for the Mariachi Ghost. And we played on a Wednesday at the Fringe outside, and uh, people started gathering in front of the band. It was very weird. Um, mm-hmm. I read poetry for half the show, and people didn't leave, which was also very weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Alex was there from the from that very first show, and um, somebody came after and was like, "You guys should do another show." I was like, "Weird. Okay, we should do another show." That we got invited to play another show. We played another show, and I we I ended up taping it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend, who's now a famous photographer, Dana Dana Danger, taped it for me, um, and sent it. I sent it to some Mexican musicians that we admired, the Cojolitas. They did the soundtrack for Frida. Oh, um, nice. they're like Grammy Award winners, mm-hmm. and they wrote back being like, "This is really cool. Keep at it." And so that was validity. Mm-hmm. And so we kept at it, and you know, it started kind of snowballing in front of us. That's awesome. So it it all started from essentially a dancer. Asking you to play at the Black Sheep Diner, yeah, and it kind of snowballed into what is now the Marriott. Yeah, in a Ghost. way, I think it made, like that's the the three founders, you know, Alex, my, and Gabriel, and I that you know got together and started that, you know, ball rolling. And you can definitely see, and I mean, I didn't know that you were a a filmmaker and came to uh, came to go to film school here. Mm-hmm. And after hearing that, Marriott Ghost makes so much more sense now because it's very theatrical. I mean, as I said before, we turn the mics on. I can't speak Spanish other than like 
Stoke Cerveza Port Beauvoir. That's about all I have um, and a few other little things to get by. Um, but yeah, it just makes it so much more sense that, yeah, it, it seems like it's a movie playing in your head, mm-hmm. what you want and how you want Mariachi Ghost to go. Mm-hmm. Would that be like safe to say? Yeah, um, that's exactly it. And there's a storyline to everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've each album is a story it's on its own, on its own right. And um, whether it's obvious what the story elements are, are or are not, it's you know, up to whoever was listening. Um, the lyrics are in Spanish, but we try to make it so that the music is carrying the same weight mm-hmm. as the words um, story-wise. And then on the on, on top of that, there's Alex's uh, delivery of, of contemporary dance, who she's always perfectly on point, uh, delivering something incredible. And the emotion that we're trying to carry through each song always comes through mm-hmm. Alex's. Um, how, how can I put it? Like her movements, her yeah, it's like a seance. Like she's yeah. she's a medium. Yes. Of what we're trying to come to convey, yeah, um, and um, in a non-spiritual way. Don't get crazy. Um, I guess but, you could say she's a uh, if if you want to go as far as be like she's a translator. Yeah, like she she's perfect using yeah. her body and her movements to translate your lyrics and the feeling of what's going on. Yeah, and so each album has kind of a theme mm-hmm. or a, a story and an underlying story. And I had read or heard that this last album that you guys just put out took seven years to write. Yeah. How complicated is your your writing process and kind of how does that work? Because that always fascinates me to talk to musicians and see, and even more so now that it's like a musician slash director, writer, mm-hmm. filmmaker, that's got to complicate things even more, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. Um so I wanted to make an an album version of a book that I really liked mm-hmm. called Pedro Paramo that was my mom when she was in teaching school she wrote her thesis about this uh this book it sort of defines the area where my mom and dad grew up it's uh it's the only famous writer to come to ever come out of that part of the country but also it was the most famous book in the world at the time um and so it became sort of now there's a I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of a magical town but there's a UNESCO sites Okay. Some of them are called magical towns, and there's a magical town that is like next to where my mom grew up, Kokomala, where like the story of the actual book takes place. Oh, okay. Um, and the town exists. It's not maybe not the town the town where the book takes place. Mm-hmm. You just borrow the name, maybe. Um, but it's this magical realism book that I really loved. Um, and then the concept kind of became started growing. Like I originally just wanted to do that and maybe make it a musical, mm-hmm. and then. Um, there was the need to include more uh, pieces of magical realism into the storyline. And then I realized that there's a, an overall language to magical realism and an overall feel to, the, to a texture to the, to the movement and to the genre, if you want to call it a genre of magical realism. Um, and so I decided that I wanted that, that to be the fabric, the, the, the cloth that, are, that the new album was going to be cut from. But that's what I will and what the band how it turns into the band, we're eight artists, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes I come up with an idea and then everybody likes it. And then sometimes I come up with an idea and nobody likes it. Yeah. And um and that's okay because we're a collective. I've just been lucky enough to be the person that has had the artistic direction um for the duration of the band. But even that's opening up. Mm-hmm. And so um 
you know, I I wanted to create something that was like that movement and there's no music in the movement, right? So we wanted we wanted to sort of make a like a statement musically. Yeah. All of this, like it's well, I'm already sort of laying out like a PhD dissertation. Mm-hmm. So there's like five or six six books that everybody in the band needed to read, but not just like read, like read, yeah, right? Like understand, understand, read, get and into it. And then there was like two or three musical genres that the band needed to learn because they didn't grow up in Mexico, mm-hmm. right? So I grew up, even though I grew up listening to this music, that doesn't mean that I can play it or I can communicate it. And so, you know, that's where Gabriel came in. Gabriel, who uh, plays the jarana, who's actually from Saint Vital, he's not a Mexican. Mm-hmm. He talks like a Mexican. No accent, <laughs> and he plays Mexican traditional instruments better than I ever will, yeah. more than I ever will. Yeah. Um, but he kind of brought in all these instruments and made them interesting to the band as well. And then they, there was like a side project called Son del Norte, where they just play traditional Mexican music. Um, but those elements needed to sort of simmer down and sip in to the to the sound. And then um, we started writing songs like. Some of which never made it to the album, mm-hmm. but we we had six six years of songs. Wow! Um, wow! <laughs> that ended up in the album, and that were informed by all of these facts, like as the as the movement was growing, right? And so there's everything from like 1970s Mexican crooner, um, you know, like 60s pop. Um, there's um, there's a there's you know some dance music. There's some new wave influences of some of the music. There's a little bit of disco. There's mariachi, traditional mariachi music and lots of it. And then mm. there's like super traditional, like in the middle of nowhere mariachi music that we found in like field recordings that Gabriel had collected oh, that's from like a museum. And then we turned them into a song. Um, so there's all these quotes that are like, only if you're from that region will you ever get. Yeah. Um, and so, and then there's, story, there's the storyline. We wrote, we wrote a whole story mm-hmm. that was an emulation of the uh, magical realism movement to fit the album. And then he ended up, the story ended up turning into a play. So there's a whole script for a play. Yep. Um, and so we did, we went and did the play uh, in Halifax two years in a row. And um, that informed the album as well. So we'd like, we're, we're kind of lucky that we took so long mm-hmm. because it sort of made it a better, a better piece of work. I, I don't recommend that bands to go through that long a process to <laughs> to create an album. Yeah, but I mean, if that's what works for you, that's amazing. And I would you you touched on the play thing. Is, is that something you're planning on maybe bringing to like a Winnipeg audience at some point? It, we are. Yeah, I, I can only imagine the logistics of like. I I'm not from the theater world or anything at all, but that's got to be. Just looking up that mountain has to be a huge undertaking. Um, there's a, a tarot card, and I don't believe in tarot cards, mm-hmm. but there's a tarot card that is called the Fool. Okay. And when you get it, it could be a good thing or a bad thing because mm-hmm. the Fool doesn't understand what the challenges that are in front of him are. Yeah. And so only the Fool can succeed at some of the tasks of life because mm-hmm. um, they will continue pushing through because they can't see the mountain ahead of them. Yeah. They can just see the road. Yeah. Right. And I feel like that's the most defining element about the way that I've done art is that I understand that it's going to be challenging, mm-hmm. but as long as I can keep my putting my uh, one foot in front of the other and yeah. then it will eventually get there. Um, you know, there's people in the band who can see the mountain and are warning me about the mountain yeah, for constantly. Sure. But um, I, uh, you know, it's, you gotta you gotta climb it one step at a time. Yeah, exactly, and that would be a great kind of full circle moment. I'm sure, especially if you did something at Fringe, where it was like you kind of 
got started there yeah. and have it come full circle and have a play done by you guys there. Yeah, and I mean, like the thing is, like we got a, a grant, the Canada One Hundred and Fifty um, uh, grant through Prismatic Arts Festival in, in Halifax, and so that we were able to have twenty-one performers mm-hmm. um, on the stage at once, and you know, develop and create and paint and build and et cetera, et cetera, which is pretty much impossible to do if you don't have a grant. Yeah, no, for right? sure. And so, like, to bring the stage play to, and I mean, we, we, we also got a grant from Manitoba, um, Manitoba Arts Council to finish the play because, like, it wasn't finished. We needed mm-hmm. to complete it. Um, and so we are mandated to bring it to, to Manitoba. Yeah. Now we have to find a way to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, we're in the process of trying to make that happen. And so on top of all this, on top of everything that you're doing, Mariachi Ghost, uh, where were you working at this time? Like, So I own a company called Prairie Boy Productions. Okay. Um, and I've been making films with, through that company for since 2013. Okay. Uh, with Orlando Brown, who's my business partner. And uh, we've done tons of documentaries, um, a little bit of television, three or four shows of television, We've worked for bigger companies as mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, as a film director, a television director, and he works as a producer. Um, and so, you know, this, there's a, a, a history there of the stuff that we do in production. Um, and I've been working in the film industry since I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I got my first job at a at a post house in Mexico called Grupo de Leon, and then um, I, you know. Since I started, since I moved here, I started working pretty much immediately uh, as a DGC locations person, and then I okay. did like summers. Um, so I'm also an assistant director, a member of the DGC, and uh, I worked on set a ton. Uh, you know, I have my ten thousand hours of set time, or whatever. And um, so there's a, there's there's a lot that I do as a as a filmmaker as well. Yeah. So you're you're in a band. You're a full time filmmaker, and. Then this job pops up at the West End Cultural Center. Yeah, why? Why the decision to kind of go this route? I mean, it still has to do with music, which is great. Mm-hmm. But why? Because artistic coordinator, director. I yeah. mean, I guess it's kind of one hand shakes the other. Um, why the decision to take a job here, doing filling this position? Um, so there's very few places that I can think of that have more cultural relevance to a scene mm-hmm. than the Western Cultural Center. So as an artist, one of my missions has been to bring um, the art and stories of people of, peoples of color mm-hmm. to the mainstream so that they're not considered something exotic, yeah. but something normal. Yeah. Um, because I want to be considered normal. I don't want people to think that I'm that weird guy with the accent. I want people to understand <laughs> that that's Canada, right? Yep. And so there's that like yearning desire to be able to help artists do that. Mm-hmm. And then having performed here, I think I played here 12 times. Okay. With different acts. And every single time there's been something about the show that is like massively relevant to the art scene. Not just that the show is cool, which it always is. But I played a Victor Victor Jara show here to a Chilean Chilean crowd with a Chilean band from Regina. People were in tears because they were like they were like you know there's the melancholy, but also the fight and like mm. you know the thing that the things that we need to keep alive and those we need to keep those fires burning. 
Um, I played uh, 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 Stan Rogers tribute here with Oh My uh, Oh My Darling. No, with I don't remember with, with whom, but I was I was I was there and um, I watched Nathan Rogers for the first time playing a, playing a song that his dad wrote. You know, there's that scene that is very important, right? The like mm-hmm. folk movement and what the, politically the folk movement meant. Mm-hmm. And then um, I I was friends with Mitch. Um, I would like you know I had a lot of admiration for Mitch and. When the Mariachi started and people literally laughed, kind of like the cowboy, the cowboy outfits yeah. in Mexico City. People were like, "That's so stupid! Why are you wearing makeup and you know dressed up?" And Mitch was like, "Fuck them! Yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, this is your music, and mm-hmm. I like it. So if I like it, you know, I, you know, I'm a more more of an opinion, you know, uh, you know, taste maker than those guys. So yeah. who cares what the industry thing? You do what you do. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and that was a, that was hugely helpful to me as an artist, right? To have somebody validate you like that." Um, and I feel like the spirit of Mitch lives in here, um, you know, for better or worse, because yeah. <laughs> he's a complicated <laughs> character. Um, I've come to so many really great shows here um, over the years, um, so many really great shows here. And I feel like the people that have done the job that I'm doing right now, <clears throat> not the least being Jason, whom I you know, admire and respect massively, mm-hmm. but also through my years of playing here and being a musician and getting to know him, um, is one of the few really honest people in the music industry mm-hmm. that has a stake and is going to make money from stuff Yeah, that doesn't lie, you know? And so I want to be that guy. Yeah, I want to be, I want to be a person that can provide that amount of support to the music industry. Mm-hmm. And like in the like sort of a lingua franca kind of like way, like I want to help, I want to help brown punk kids play fucking cool shows. Yeah. And I, I nobody's going to stop me. Because yeah. I work here now, you know yeah, what I'm saying. Exactly. So I, I, I didn't like. I, I feel like this job shouldn't go to shouldn't go to a gatekeeper. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be a gatekeeper. I wanted to be a gate opener, and it's an opportunity to do that. And it's more so an opportunity to do that than I have ever felt like in film. Mm-hmm. Um, film, I love film, but I also hate film. Yep. Um, just the same. I love music, but I can hate the music industry so hard. A hundred percent. And then the validity that I've received <clears throat> from in the film industry as a filmmaker, um, who can create his own art, and, and I can, you know, and I know that I can. Yeah, is pretty much zero. There's like two guys in Winnipeg that have given me opportunities as a director, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is an opportunity where, like, the team and the board and the group of people that sign my checks. Really believe in my skills to do to make a difference, and that is a huge, um, a huge difference from from where I feel like I'm standing constantly in the film industry. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the film industry is that mountain that I have to climb. And unfortunately, I can't see the damn mountain. I wish I couldn't. Yeah. Um, but I can see it. And and um, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm stopping making films, but yeah. um, um, artists are artists, and they'll they do art until they die. Yep. Um, but. I have a I have a place here where I feel <clears throat> my work matters, mm-hmm. and that's like there's no price like you know you can there's no amount of money that you can that you can pay somebody to feel like that you know yeah how how long ago did you get into the artist um, the the job you are here oh I I started in October in October mm-hmm. have you did you have coming into the job? Did you have a clear direction of what you wanted to do, and kind of how are you accomplishing that and opening those doors rather than, like you said, keeping them shut and like being a gatekeeper? Yeah. So as a so as a performer, mm-hmm. 
I know the holes which the industry need to, needs to fill. Which are? Um, there isn't enough brown people playing music on stages mm-hmm. and there aren't enough women playing music on stages mm-hmm. that are recognized yep. to the full extent of their talent. Um, if you see any of the showcases that we put together, and this isn't an, this isn't a criticism to the people that are making efforts to mm-hmm. sort of disseminate art, artists' work. Yeah, this is a criticism in how we receive as the audiences in Winnipeg artists' work. Yeah, if you are a person that lives in San Vital and all of your friends are white and all of your family is white, it's very unlikely you're going to go to an Ethiopian jazz show. Mm-hmm. You know, at excuse. Yep. Right. Well, for sure. It's very unlikely. Yep. I'm like, I'll free I'll, ticket. Here's a free ticket. Are you yeah. gonna go? I well, see me personally, yes. Yes, because you, you, yes, but like you know, the majority also, of people. It's in Saint Vitel. Yeah, they're not gonna leave Saint Vitel unless it's they're going to a big show. I Sometimes, know, but but they'll come here for Ron Sexsmith, right? Yeah, and that's not nothing to say about Ron Sexsmith. Nope, He's great. He's lovely. I'm. It's a great performer, also. Yep. Right. They'll come here for it, like you know, I, I don't know, um, Hoxley Workman. Yep. Right. Um, and I feel like the music quality is the same. Mm-hmm. So I want to feel be, be in a place where I can entice those people to open up and come to those to the to the quote unquote weird shows. Yeah, right. But I also want to flood the market with those shows. Mm-hmm. I want there to be those shows open there, and I want to open showcases for those people. You know, um, and this is a place where I can do that. It's it, it's kind of magical, you know. And I'm already sort of. I had a, a, an agenda, yep. which was I was very open when, when we had a conversation in my job interview. Um, we have a 13.5% of the population in Winnipeg that are Filipino. Mm-hmm. How many Filipino shows have you been to? Yeah, none. none. Well, well, maybe I mean, one. Not, not, yeah, maybe no, one. Programa doesn't count. That, no, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think any. How it's like, and I'm not criticizing you. Yeah, neither yeah. have I. Yeah. Right. And my my neighbors play rock and roll. And are Filipino. I don't know where they play. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I I, that's a huge gap. Right. Like, yeah. Hundred, they, that yeah. Need, they, that needs to be here. Yep. And so I'm trying to make efforts to make that happen. Right. Um. We just opened up a, a like an Ethiopian poetry night. Mm-hmm. Where else are you gonna go to an Ethiopian poetry yeah, night? Yeah. No. Nowhere. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> which know, this is, is amazing. This, this that's what the power that this place has, right? That yeah. we can have Ron Sexsmith and we can also have Ethiopian poetry night. And mm-hmm. so this is a welcome all all faiths included, all like orientations. Yeah. You know. Um. Uh. Whoever you love, you can come here. That's the, and that's the place that I want to be at. Mm-hmm. You know, and at this stage in my career. And you think you're like you? Obviously, you're making headway into that because, like you said, you're having the Ethiopian poetry nights. Um, do you have like some Filipino bands and um, music coming through? So I feel like there is a, a deficit of exposure in that the Filipino bands don't care about me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. Yep. Um, but I want to figure out how to communicate with. It's a culture that I'm not a part of. Mm-hmm. It's like me being a, a a promoter of hip hop in the early days of hip hop, right? Like, or a, a, a owner of a club in the yeah. early days of hip hop. I don't have a connection with the hip hop crowd. How am I going to get them to play in my venue, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, um, some people say that punk only lived for a hundred days and a hundred nights because the Roxy Club was the only place that punk really, really existed. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, that's 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 um, 
I'm not a Roxy club, so I have to f- figure out a way to bring them here and, yeah. and, and, and I learn to speak the language and, and who to bring here. So I'm working to try and bring people from Toronto that do things in, ta- in Tagalog that mm-hmm. are you know groundbreaking and cool and interesting and that I know that people in Winnipeg are listening to. Um, there's also like many tiers of this. Um, uh, there's first generation Filipino mm-hmm. immigrants, and then there's second generation Filipino immigrants. And if there's anything like my family that lives in the states, the second generation, all my cousins that live in the states, and yeah. I'm talking about like 51 people. I have a lot of cousins in the yeah. states. Um, they're in between, and so it's a hard choice to choose between traditional Mexican mm-hmm. and like modern Mexican. And do you want to be a part of Cholo culture or do you want to be a part of Chicano culture? There's you know a whole bunch of like subgenres that exist yeah. there, and so I need to learn. I need to be co- more culturally educated yeah. in that, right? And so yeah. I mean that's the process that I'm in right now. Well, by the sounds of it, I mean the West End couldn't have picked a better director to figure this out because you're definitely very passionate about music and people. So to me, that just gives me goosebumps, like hearing that and knowing someone, knowing more than just that little handful of people are pushing forward through more than just rock music yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes me very happy. It's, very, it's, it's all necessary, right? Yeah. Like I, I need country the same way that I, that I need like, you know, Ethiopian jazz. Yeah. It all needs to be, it all needs to be here and that, that. And I will say it's important to recognize that it's it's possible for the person that does my job, whoever it is, I, it's me or or Mike who, who has done it, or you know, um, Chris Freyer has done this job. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for the person that does my job to do it without the support of the executive director and the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Jason, who used to do my job as well, yeah. who is now the executive director, is you know fully supportive of the initiatives, and um, you know. It's very open-minded and like incredibly helpful. And then uh, Matt, who does our marketing, who's been here also for a really long, long mm-hmm. time, and Christiana, who does our our house management and rentals, um, we're all working towards the same goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's really cool to be a part of a team where you know there's a clear mandate to to try and bring something interesting and to provide for artists. You know. Yep. Well, I want to thank you for sitting down, taking the time to talk to me. Um, I'm very excited to see kind of the direction and the new stuff that you guys, it sounds like you have a great team and I'm very excited to hear and see. Um, maybe I'll come to an Ethiopian poetry night. Yeah. And yeah. Check, Cause I, I love March checking 15. out what's that March 15. The, there you go. It will be in, all in the liner notes or awesome. liner notes in the description, whatever, but thank you for sitting down and talk to me. Thank you. That's awesome. It's been really fun. Thanks, man. Well, there you go. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Jorge from the Mariachi Ghost and the West End Cultural Center. Like I said off the top, it was amazing to learn more about Jorge and where he came from and his story and just everything, and his especially his vision for the West End Cultural Center. I know right now with this whole COVID thing going on, everything is kind of stalled with, with live music and venues and things like that, but... I know there's a lot of people still behind the scenes really continuing to soldier on and work really hard. I know if you want to help support the West End Cultural Center, you can get a hold of them. I think they have um, something up on their... I'm I'm really bad at this. Um, I think they have something up on their Facebook site about donating because it is all volunteer-ran and with nothing going on, like many of the venues here in Winnipeg, if nothing's going on, they're not bringing bands in, they're not making money, they're not making money off the bar... 
yeah, it's it, it's a very tough time right now. Hopefully, we're starting to see that light at the very end of the tunnel. I mean, we're not we're not through the worst of it by any means, but it's it's getting close. Hopefully, so get out and support. I will put all the stuff in the description in the con- whatever description of the the podcast, so you can head over to the West End Cultural Center and check them out. Support them any way you can. I know it's really tight for a lot of people, but if I've always said it and I'll continue to say it. If we don't support local, local won't support us. And can you imagine this city with no live venues? Like that would suck. And so any little bit you can do like $5, $2, $8, even sharing links and stuff like that is, is just a big help and helps get the word out. So as always, I like to um, end every podcast with three songs. Usually if, if it's pertinent um, by the band. So and I'm so sorry. I am going to butcher the song names like nobody's business because I don't speak Spanish very well at all. I I, I don't know. I'm going to try. But anyway, um, also, yes, thank you to Jorge for sitting down and talking to me. It was, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. Uh, I, I could do a part two, part three, part four with him. It's, oh, maybe that'll happen. Who knows? But thank you, Jorge. And... The, the songs I picked are, uh, this is going to sound so bad. Well, we're just going to start with the one I can say easiest. Uh, the first song up is Susanna and then, uh, Puero, Puero Delore. And the last song, uh, Kirpo Mortal. I don't know. I tried. I'm, I should have just got him to say them, but, or some that can actually speak Spanish, but I tried. There you go. Um, yeah, any questions you want to get a hold of me, it's a music thing MB at Gmail. Any of the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's a music thing. Check us out, tell your friends about us, and stay safe, everybody.
Que si me quite la vida, perdón ya no hay Los muertos no Esta 
prisión este cuerpo mortal la cárcel en vida y yo te puedo liberar con este puñal darte una salida tus ojos tienen esa cualidad libertad sin vida es mi misión llevarte para el más allá la única salida